And we're here again. It is episode four of Nobody's Muses. This is Rachel. This is Crystal. And we are here to talk about episode three of the Amazon series Daisy Jones and the Six. If you um, have not, or if you are stumbling upon us for the first time, please remember you can find us on YouTube at Nobody's Muses. You can find us on any of your favorite streaming platforms for podcasts. Um, Instagram is at Nobody's Muses without the apostrophe. And let's get going. You ready? Yep, I'm ready. Episode Episode three is, or as they call them, track three is Someone Saved My Life Tonight, which is a famous Elton John song um, most everybody should know about. If you don't know about it, you should you should check it out. Um, two writers, Will Graham and Nora Kirkpatrick, directed by James Ponsell. So looking at Will Graham as a writer, um, not a whole lot of writing credits for him. Um, he's got some directing credits looks like he is, did some directing um for the the series a league of their own which i don't even know what that was on is that an amazon yeah it was an amazon series okay and it looks like he's directing some of the episodes of daisy jones and the six but this one he has writing credit on okay he's yeah he's done some stuff for the onion i guess they've had series in the past he That's... did he but all of this he's done is directing so okay. Oh, so so that's interesting too, because then Nora Kirkpatrick, her her credits on IMDb are as an actress, actress, and also as a director. So, but she's worked for she was a staff writer on this. And then we have our Oh, and our, also guess what? She paid she played Penny Richardson. So the girl good. that the singer that was kind of like the Leslie Gorish kind of character that yes. Simone has sort of a relationship with. Not quite sure. It's implied. What's yeah and then um, directed by james ponsold and he's directed this is his third one and he's directed things like the spectacular now and um but also i did notice this because i am watching shrinking and he is an executive producer on that the um the apple tv series starring jason siegel and harrison ford i haven't watched it but i love jason siegel and written by my beloved brett goldstein so (laughs) your beloved my beloved let's talk about the episode name so far okay so each episode so far and throughout the series is going to be a song title so first episode was come and get it second episode was i'll take you there and the third episode that we're talking about today is someone saved my life tonight yes thoughts well the original song by elton john is about the fact that he was it was written by bernie toppin who wrote you know most of his songs and it was about um Elton was involved with a woman and I think maybe she said she was pregnant um but he was like oh I've got to marry her and um Bernie Toppin and another one of his friends convinced him not to marry her and um her side of the story is kind of sad and I mean the lyrics are pretty devastating because it's almost like you almost got your hooks in me and things like that so but it is about a friend kind of being very honest with somebody and to get them out of a relationship so when we think about this in terms of this episode, I have to um, yeah, go for it. Tell me. No, I was going to say, I mean, to me, the title of the song, and, and as you've given kind of some backstory, you know, we have Billy who is, we will find coming out of rehab mm-hmm. at this point. And we know in the last episode that Teddy is the one who took him there. 
we have him getting picked up and then we end up with the end of the episode being and we'll get there but him meeting daisy for the first time and them recording together so i it's not literal but i think we can see in this in the title that they chose a true connection between what teddy did for billy and what daisy is about to do for billy yeah and i would also say i mean to me it's really about it's very much about teddy kind of saving both of their lives because I don't know what Daisy would do if she doesn't have somebody like Teddy believing in her. Right. So we open the episode with Teddy and Daisy listening to the song that she has written. Mm -hmm. Nobody needs. Yes. So I like the song. I like the song. Yes. I like the song. And, um, she looked great well and i think it's this moment where she really wants she cares yeah like this she is done acting especially with um with teddy like she doesn't care like no she cares now after all of that little act of not wanting him to do it and all that stuff when it comes to this um she you know she cares and yeah and I think what's interesting about this, the, the song is the lyrics, the very first line is, I've been riding with this monkey on my back. So it's about her process of writing. And it kind of is in a way, because um, she says, it's kind of a song to, it's kind of a song to Teddy in a way of like, I'm writing this, but, you know, I don't need, I don't need a family, but she does. Um it's just a I think it's um it's a very good song to be it's about kind of the writing process in some ways mm-hmm. yeah but, um you know so he and he likes it and we hear the very ending lines that are playing mm-hmm. which says thank you I'm sorry I love you goodbye and he likes it. Yeah, you're right. And she finally is like, like you said, getting past that. Like, I don't, maybe I don't want my music to be shaped. Maybe I don't want to fit in a box. Mm-hmm. I think she's come to this realization that if she wants to perform, she's going to have to listen to somebody else. And so she's choosing, she's, mm-hmm. she's taking an active role in choosing that Teddy is going to be the person she listens to. Yeah. The song finishes. Do you like it or not? Um. And then he he has a great line. Well, at least you've stopped acting like you don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we, we see Daisy kind of coming into the realization that she's going to have to do some things other than just walk up on stage and start singing to make this happen. Yeah. And I love the line that she says. She's like, I want to make a record. I want to make a record that people listen to it over and over and over until it breaks. And then I want to make another one. Yeah. So who's that record for you? What's that record that you listen to over and over again until it breaks? You know, I was just talking to, I was just talking to Joe about this this morning and something that I've listened, I listened to over and over and over was Octung Baby. Really? Yeah. And, um, and it was, a uh, it was one that I, you know, when it first came out, I was like, mm, I don't know if I like this is weird. I don't know if I like this sound of you too. Yeah. And I think about that album a lot. Um, so that's, that's one that comes, I mean, there's, I think a lot for me, I mean, Sergeant Pepper, I mean, I've listened to that so many times, but probably Octone Baby's high up there and also Graceland. Yeah. 
I remember you being in the phase of Graceland. I remember yeah. you being in that phase. I was in a Graceland. And listening a to it a lot. Great album. And, you know, I came up with this question off the top of my head, so I haven't really given it a whole lot of thought for myself, but (laughs) you responded quickly and you were on. So thank you for that. But it's funny that you say Octane Baby because that kind, you know, for me, my all-time favorite ultimate, ultimate band is U2. Um, And Octane Baby kind of started that period of time where I was like, "Mm, I'm not really digging this. Um, And so I think think that yes mine would be a youtube album um and it would probably be joshua tree mm-hmm. for me um and then i think about like an rem album because you know josh because you know it's it's youtube and rem right there like neck and neck for me as far as all-time faves and i think of rem and i think of the green album which yeah. again we've talked about how we have songs and we have albums that could easily be biography for a period of time in our life. Not necessarily the lyrics, but just the album. And the green album does kind of hit a period of my life. And I just, I can go back to it. And, you know, it's been several years since that period of my life. And I can go back to it and and hear it with yeah. more mature and better ears. Because it used yeah. to be about that. It used to be about heartbreak, but now I just I freaking love that album. So she goes like, "I'm gonna start." You know, he's like, "Let's get started." She's like, "Give me a week," and he, I mean, and then he's like, "Okay," and he says, "Um, you've got one great song. Now you need ten more, and this one is your worst one." Yeah, this is the worst song on your album. I love it. I love it. I just think that you know, again, that shows. Teddy's done this before. Teddy's knowledgeable. He's produced great things before and he knows how the process works. Um, and, you know, anyone I think who is creative or who is a risk taker wants to outperform themselves because if they don't outperform themselves, somebody else is going to come in and outperform them. Yeah. So they have to keep pushing. And Teddy recognizes with this one song that there's something there. Now we just got to dig into it and find it. So cut to, I believe there's a, it says 1974. I always it. love it when they throw the timestamps in there because I, you know, I do get a little off on this compared to the book and following yeah. the timestamps to the book compared to the series. Yeah. So. Cause the book is, it, it's a longer, longer right. time period. So I do like that, but we have Graham picking up Billy from rehab. And I know one of your questions was, was there actually really rehab back in 1974? Yeah. And there were there I did some research. Had to do some research. So there were forms of rehab at that point in time. You know, um AA came around in like the 1930s, I think. Yeah. Um, AA was started. So there was there was some semblance of rehab, but I don't think it was the rehab that you and I as Gen Xers grew up seeing in the eighties, like with the start of the Betty Ford clinic. Right. Um, you know, I think a lot of times it was literally just, um, I think as Graham said, just kind of, they, it was just a place to dry out. Right. Not sure they really worked through a lot of the emotions and a lot of the ideas, but at that point in time, 1974, alcoholism was recognized as an addiction. There was science behind it. There was research behind it, but the, what we envision of rehab of the eighties and beyond probably did not exist at that point in time. So I think that's one of the reasons why, and, you know, we're going to talk about the next several scenes, but 
um, I think there was a little bit of a cavalier attitude from yeah. uh, the other people, him coming back in. No, I think he, that they, they, I think they're super flippant picking yeah. him up. Like, Hey, look, it's this rock star, Billy Dunn. And I'm like, dude, you're picking your brother up from, you know, however many days he was there drying out. And it's just like, he's acting like he's going to pick his brother up from the airport. I'm just like, well, I just think also, I think he was being overly like that. So it's like, oh, let's not make it weird. And by doing that, he made it weird. You and know? I think in these next several scenes where he's coming back, that's what we see from a lot of people, which I don't think is out of the ordinary, even for today. Oh, you know, when you have these situations like this, it, it, any of these uncomfortable things going on, it's like, do we brush it off and just ignore it and not talk about it? Or do we make it, you know, kind of light? Or do we dig deep in with somebody that drive home and Graham is talking? That was, that was a hard, that was a hard scene to watch. There's a lot of hard scenes in this, in this episode to watch from Billy's perspective. Yeah. Um, I mean, Graham's talking about the baby and how beautiful Julia is and how cute she is and all the things she does. And it just reinforces to Billy um, everything he's missed out on. Yeah. And like whenever, whenever, um, whenever he breaks down, that's a good, that's some good breaking down crying. That's some good, ugly crying from him. The, cry, and, the quiet. Yeah. The quiet and just song. like his face kind of crumpling, you know, mm -hmm. when you just really, and, you know, Graham, I, I, I don't, I think Graham was trying to make him feel good and do, doesn't realize it. No, he doesn't. And I think, yeah, Graham, I don't think Graham had any malicious intent. I think Graham was, again, awkward not sure how to have a conversation with his brother at this point was trying to just kind of catch him up yeah as they were up. driving fill yeah up but as a parent you know and there's so many firsts in your kiddo's life that you get to experience and those initial months of a new baby is uh, is exhausting and overwhelming and full of joy and full of terror and heartbreak and just i really felt for for Billy, because I can't imagine what that would be like to not be there for that initial part. And the guilt. I mean, because it yeah. wasn't like, well, he was off at the war or something. There, no, right. it was because, right. you know, he was drinking, you know, because of his addiction. So, which isn't his fault, but is also, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to come to terms with. And then we flip to 1997, Graham. Yeah. Who says we just didn't understand addiction back then? Yeah, and that's true. It wasn't yeah. understood like it is today. Um, and it's and it's very clear they don't because Warren is just like, "Hey, I got a new mustache," <laughs> and, and, Karen, and Karen hugs him, and and they're just so excited to see him, and like it is like they're like little kids, and Dad's finally home from work or something, and Eddie's like, "Oh, let me show you this base," and and of course Eddie's the person who. Who Billy goes, man, I gotta go see my kid, my wife. Like he, of course, and so it's another moment for Eddie to feel, um, you know, to feel um, slighted even more than the other people in the band because he's the one who gets his head bit off, you know. Yeah. And then we go to him finally being with Camila. And this is a, this is a tough scene. You know, can I just I just have to stop and say there are so many points that we've seen so far from Sam Claflin 
And there are so many more to come in the episodes ahead where he does not say a single word, Mm -hmm. but you can feel and know everything that's, I mean, everything that's going on. He is so, so talented at just showing his emotions physically. Yes. Yes. Showing his emotions physically doesn't say a word. And this is, there's several examples of this in this episode, but this is one of them where he walks in and he is so awkward and he feels like a stranger in his own home. Well, and he does like a lot of like grabbing his arm, kind of like not knowing even like not knowing what to do with his hands. And um, Camila looks beautiful and she's in like, isn't it? It's like a white dress. And I think, you know, it's like this kind of, and you look and she looks very angelic. And like, imagine you see her and you're this, grubby dude who's you know been around sleeping around doing drugs didn't even see weren't even there when she had the baby and this you know just to feel how intimidating that would feel to see her now looking so beautiful and then um mama mama's there grandma's there and she's she's talking to camila in spanish because she really doesn't want to have anything to do with him yeah well I mean, I can understand. Oh, um, no. I mean, I, I you know, and I am a, I am a but, hell of a grudge holder. And, you know, I am really had to work on this over my years of friendships where I don't think anybody is good enough for my friends. And so I hold I hold a grudge against men who who my friends love and who've had, you know, really good marriages. But I like, no, they're not worthy. So that's a good friend. That's so, a good friend. But, but, I, but Camila, and again, I can't remember if watching the subtitles, it showed me what they were actually saying to each other. But Camila, even not knowing what she was saying, she immediately snapped at mom and like, was like, no. Right. So, you know, she was trying to give Billy the chance to come back in there. And he just looks, he looks so scared. Yep. And Camila also, what I like about this, Camila isn't like, hey, daddy, and you're home. And I'm so glad she's like, okay, you're here, um, but I'm not ready to have you sleep here or do anything. You're going to have to earn some of that. Well, because again, let's let's backtrack a little bit. She caught him. Yeah. And then, you know, he was on the road, completely wasted on stage when Teddy showed up, gets to the hospital, and he says, I can't do this mm-hmm. so then he goes to rehab so yeah. who knows how long it's been since they've actually sat in a room together and camilla has yet to be able to say her piece right like she she got in his face when she caught him and that was one thing but then when you can't even come to the birth of your child because you're so freaking wasted yeah and that the, camilla hasn't had her her place to she hasn't had her opportunity to let it all out to Billy. So to be able to ask, to want to ask for that time from him, I think is, is a healthy thing that she did for herself. But I can imagine also just kind of, you know, he looked so uncomfortable and just so awkward. And, you know, I just, I just think about as having, you know, a 22 year old and a 19 year old. And, you know, my, my husband's first interaction with babies was our own son. And just, you know, knowing and remembering what that was like and feeling like, you know, he maybe wasn't, you know, as good at it those first few months when they were so tiny and so just 
like reliable on you. Now you add into that, that he's missed all that time. He's a young dad. He's missed all that time. Just that whole, again, that physical acting that Sam Claflin does on screen is just, um, it's so much a part of the story. So much a part of the story. Well, also like baby, I always kind of looking at babies and feel weird about babies and like when they have to have them crying. Because I'm like, that means that baby's upset. I don't know. I always have. That makes no, me they nervous. said, okay, at this point, I need you to cry. Yeah, I know. So talented. It's like, what are they I doing? Do. So, yeah. So, but, you know, babies cry for all kinds of reasons. I know. So, um, <laughs> so then we go to 1997, Eddie, and he said the label dropped us a week after the tour was canceled. And so they are having, um, they had, and then Warren in 1997, we had to pay back our advance. And um, 1997 Graham, I just kept us practicing and they all had to get day jobs. So very different from the book. And um, yeah. And Eddie says, basically, we were back where we started and the interviewer asks, are you mad? And he says, nah, holding onto that shit will be the death of you. But yeah, he really fucked us over. So, I mean, this is very different from the book because the book, they don't, you know, the book, they've already, they're already an established band. Right. And um, so already... and I think there's actually a really good choice because it it makes it more important that this work out like and that they they've given up all of this stuff mm-hmm. and for it not to work out. Um, and it, it makes it much more fraught as we get forward and we understand like the sacrifices that um, Teddy is going to make for Billy to make this happen. Yeah. So we go. So again, like you said, Camilla says, I need, you know, I need you to go stay with the boys. Um, and so we find Billy, you know, in Graham's room and Billy is just like, I can't do this. I can't do it. He's right, so I, fragile. He's so scared. Um, and he's just like, I can't do this. I can't be out on the road. I can't be in a band. I can't do it. I, I don't want to be, be like, like dad. Well, I can't. I mean, you don't want to put yourself in situation when you're trying to stay sober. You don't want to put yourself in situations that could trigger something that's going to that's going to um, jeopardize that. Right. So in order I get it in order for Billy to feel like he's got to, if he's going to maintain his sobriety. He can't put himself back in that situation. And he's, you know, has a family to think about now. And Billy says something about, well, we're your family and we've been waiting. And he just kept was like, man, I just need you to tell him. Can you just tell him I can't be like dad? Can you just tell him? And he's like, no, you got to tell him yourself. Yeah. And what I think is interesting here is that Billy doesn't recognize that the band is not the reason he started drinking. Nope. If he hadn't had a band, and let's just say he was in Pittsburgh and he'd got Camilla knocked up. And this got a job at the still factory. Happened. Yeah. And got this a job at the factory. This would have happened. This because this is not about this is not about being the rock star. The rock star made it available and made it easier. But the, re- the, the reason that this is here is because he he doesn't want to be like his dad. The thing that sent him down, I mean, he was already drinking too much. We know that. But the thing that really triggered this, like, downward spiral was the fact of his, when he found out he was going to be a dad. Yeah. You know, and not recognizing that the, fam- that the family he has with this band is the thing, that those are two separate things. So, you know, and I do love Graham going, no, this, you have to tell them, this is you. So then we cut to, um, 
big party at a, and i was just noticing this like every party is at a pool in this show like it's like la everybody LA, I mean, baby i know there's lots of pools in la but i mean every damn party is basically at a pool and they're at a pool party and um and Simone has gotten a call from a Lee Parlin record producer, and she's so excited because um, he wants her to sing backing vocals. Yes, yeah. And then he ends up having her sing, and it's funny because it's one of those deals. Like it's really act, like a scene from real life. Like it's the middle of the night. She and Daisy are just hanging around at the apartment, and then she gets this call. And like one of my favorite stories is there's a movie 20 feet from stardom. Um, and it's about the singer who did the background lyric, the, the lyric, the song for um, give me shelter, you know, the, that great. Yes. Okay. So that woman, they, they were like, um, somebody called her in the middle of the night. She was pregnant. And they're like, Hey, um, Mick wants us, you know, wants a woman to sing for this. Can you come in? So she came and she still had her rollers on her hair. Her husband drove her. She's super pregnant. And she's like, I'm going to show those little white boys and I'm going to, you know, kick some ass. And that is one of the best, the highlights of that um, documentary. Oh, that song. And, yeah. and her, and I mean, that song is, you know, I mean, that would not be that song without her and her just, you know, so that's kind of a thing, you know, I just love that, that I'm sure like the middle of the night calls. So Simone gets there and she, and so then we cut to the party and she's talking about how great it went and she's talking and then she gets um, distracted by um, a woman. Bernice. Bernice. Bernie. And they um, start talking and um, there's definitely, you know, Bernice, Bernice is very open. She's, you know, she's obviously openly, you know, hitting on Simone and then Simone kind of, tenses up and Bernice says, um, sorry, did I read, read you wrong? And, and she said, um, I'm just not used to pe people being so forward. Mm -hmm. So, and, and then they f it flips to 97, uh, Simone, who says, it's a powerful thing when someone comes along and sees right through you. So there had been hints kind of dropped um, in previous episodes, but this is the first p person that really like openly honed it or came on to Simone. And so I think it shocked her because she was probably still not understanding where she was and not what, and not sure what her feelings were. Um, but Bernie came and came into her life and she was kind of faced with, with some realities. Well, and I or mean, potential realities. I mean, so far, Bernard, so far, Simone has not said she's gay. Nope. So we still have not, you know, there's, you know, and there's like this kind of implication, but it's definitely, you know, not, you know, that's not, she's not said it. No, she's not out. Yeah. But again, we have this, this character who is out. Yes. And approaches her and it, it throws her off because she's just not sure. Well, I mean, the repercussions of that, I mean, even now, I mean, you know, it's just not an easy thing to do. No. So you have to do on your own timeline. So as you know, as per usual, once Simone is not around Daisy, a lot of things kind of escalate, <laughs> and Simone sees old Wyatt of Stumbled on Sublime. Yep, and drunk Daisy out there in the middle of the dance floor dancing around, and she turns and boom, there he is, and she's standing like, by the pool. And she's like, you know, you could at least say thank you. And he's like, for what? And she's like, I wrote that song for you. And well, the and funny she, thing when he comes up, um, I. I guess she must introduce herself 
to the woman that that Wyatt was with, and she introduced herself as Daisy Jones, and he was like, "Well, when I knew you, your name was Margaret." And she turned to him and said, "Well, you never had a number one hit, yeah, or number and I one knew record. You never have didn't have a number one record, yeah." And you know, and she's like, "You could at least say thank you." And he was like, "For what?" And then um, she pushes him in the pool, and then sings "Stumble on Sublime." She starts to walk away. Yeah, she starts. She tries to do the right thing, be the bigger person, and walk away. But then she's Daisy. And she yeah. just turns back around and shoves him in. And I loved it because she sang the song with the melody she always intended for it to be. Right. And he, yeah, yeah he did not sing it that way. <laughs> so 1997, a nor- sure, a normal person, nor- 1997 Daisy, sure, a normal person may have just let it go. Yeah. But not Daisy. She's not a normal person. And you think about how many stories are there out there of, songs getting stolen yeah from especially women yeah in the industry there's probably lots and lots of stories of that well nobody would believe them so no no (laughs) because how could you uh, be talented enough to write something so great so So then we cut to and they're in the living room of the house and i guess it's topanga canyon not laurel canyon so they're in topanga canyon in their house and the first line we see as they cut to is fuck you from Eddie because Billy has told them that he's not going to be in the band. He looks like a dick in that scene. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He looked like a dick. Oh, we should probably, we should have put that. Uh, <laughs> we'll have warning, explicit. <laughs> warning, explicit content. He looked like a dick sitting in that peacock chair. Yeah. Like he was just, he was, you know, it was, it was his band now. Yeah. So, because we did have, you know, it was his band now. So yeah. he was just going to be the dick. Well, and yeah, he's just, it, he looked like an like, asshole. Like somehow he has been hurt and slighted more than everyone else. I mean, they're all, it, it hurts all of them. I mean, Karen mm-hmm. ha- is not even have the, the, the friendship of years of friendship for her to, to kind of understand this. So she's just like joined the man. Cause they said they were going to be a thing. So, you know, now they've got to find it. He's like, well, and this cracked me up. He's like, well, you guys, you know, I've already got the songs written. So you just need to find a singer. Oh, okay. That's just so easy to do. <laughs> just so easy. And we see in the following scene, just how impossible it was to find yeah a new lead singer because they had some real yeah well we'll get to that part but you know and karen i thought you know she said you know bands fall apart but i just thought this was different and and you know when you think about where they were and the potential they had before billy went into rehab you know before they had to cancel the tour this was a band that was building building all the things were going the way the trajectory of the way it should right so now it's like what do we even do? And then we see Billy doing his best to to not be a rock star, but also not, um, but and also be sober. And it's um, to to the Billy Preston song. Um, um, I've got a song. Will it go? It's I've got a song, yeah. and that yeah. we know it as Will it go round in circles? That's how I always think of it. Right. And you know he's making stuff and gardening and trying to and he's like being handy but not very good at it you know but he's still not being a parent nope Nope. he's still not being a parent he's literally just doing anything he can to keep himself busy 
And it almost has that Groundhog Day-esque feel to it because it's you get up, you do the same thing every day, build stuff, fix stuff. It's just, he just keeps, we'll go around in circles. And that's what his days become because that routine is keeping him sober. That routine is giving him a new normal. Well, and I would say it's basically a person who's not drinking anymore, but hasn't really done the stuff that an addict needs to do to really go through recovery. For sure. You know, and but did he know how to do that in 1974, no. 75? Did he know how to do that? No, I don't think so. No, no, he didn't have the tools. So he was just trying to stay sober. Right. And so we have this whole scene, a nice little montage of that. And um, then we see um, Teddy comes to check on him. And he's like, you know, I missed you, man. And um, Billy looks like he's going to cry, you know, because here's dad. You know, dad missed him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's probably still ashamed. But also, and he says, and, you know, Teddy says, I'm just glad you seem to have taken it. You know, it's taken. It doesn't always and it's never going to get easier yeah yeah and it's like and again we have you know sam claflin the actor not saying a whole lot but still managing to get the message across and and you know it's taken it's taken in in teddy's eyes but again i think it's only because he's done everything to keep himself busy and moving and not thinking about the rock star life that right. he so desperately wanted. Well, and I mean, to me, it's like you pointed out, he's doing all this stuff, but he still isn't the thing, the thing that triggered this in, you know, very quick downfall it has little to do with being the rock star. And it's the moment he found he was going to be a dad. So he still mm-hmm. hasn't taken care of that part of it. Right. And then, yeah. um, then Graham says, well, for me, 1997 Graham is all about moving, um, all about moving forward. And I put a note here that says, even though he's the youngest um, child, he totally has middle child energy there where you're that. I mean, Graham, I feel like is just always trying to fix things like Graham is, you know, that's why he's like trying to be super cheerful when he was picking up Billy from rehab or, you know, Mm -hmm. and like just the he he really wants to fix things. He's just that person. And I'm. doesn't uh, like thinks that if we just keep trying and we'll just we'll get through this you know and then yep. they cut to a there's a pool party another pool party another pool party and then um you know karen and graham are talking and they're you know they're like the edge of a party sitting on chairs and it's like you know guys like your brothers don't grow on trees and then we cut to the um the other guys warren and eddie I think are and yeah, they're, they're, over, at the, they're at the bar they're at the bar and there's these guys talking to him and they're like what what are you going to be called this are you still calling call yourselves the six there's only four of you and and then that they cut <laughs> that makes it funny yeah and then um and then and Karen's just talking about how she's you know thought they'd be living the rock and roll life and she says i would literally fuck anyone right now and then Graham's like yeah why not and he's all you could tell he's just like oh, i don't know how to respond to that <laughs> I think he's excited because he's like, okay, this is finally going to happen. This girl. Well, I mean, he, I think he did say, oh, so okay, and I'm right okay. here, but he doesn't have any of the moves to like make that happen. No, no yeah. but uh, but again, we she she makes some kind of line about you know, 
um, that she really, she wants that rock and roll life. And you can tell, and we know that Graham kind of wants something a little more traditional. And at that moment, it appears as though Karen does not want that. Well, and Graham is just in, like, Graham is truly infatuated with her. Where, Mm -hmm. I mean, Karen, I think, thinks he's a nice guy. I mean, I don't think if you're really interested in fucking somebody, you say that right next to them unless you're going to actually do it. So she doesn't see him as uh, as that kind of person. Well, no, because she doesn't want to, I think part of it is she doesn't want to jeopardize the band. Yeah. That's her number one motive. Yes. Is is the band's success. And so she probably is aware enough to know that, you know, or maybe from prior experience in other bands knows that once you sleep with somebody in the band, it can, and obvious, and a lot of times screw well, things up big yeah. time. And 1997 Warren says it was a confusing time. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. felt so bad for him though. Cause she, he was, I mean, he, you could see he was thinking, okay, maybe, maybe this is going to happen. This, could, yeah. this, I think this is going to happen. And then she just gets up and beelines off yeah. to go find somebody. Yeah. And poor, poor Graham, poor Graham is sitting there, sitting there. So there, then we cut to um, oh like um, some bad tryouts, and um, these were some bad tryouts. Yeah, and it reminded me a lot of the commitments, um, where the bad tryouts for that one, th- those that was really fun. Um, and it was, I mean, they didn't do a whole lot, and all of the guys were they were all it was they were genuinely terrible. Yeah. Um, and then um, we get to the point, and they're like, oh, there's nobody, and Eddie says, well, why don't why don't I do it? And um, and he sings "Flip the Ship," "Flip the Switch," and um, what do you think? Good job. You know, he said I I could sing I can sing almost as good as him. I can play guitar better, which he was originally a guitar player when they first started out. Mm-hmm. So I think he did an admirable job. I think if push had come to shove, it would have worked. You know. Yeah, I mean, I just they, they would they would have gotten the six. They would have been the, the six. They, you know, I think they could have probably. I don't know because I honestly, yeah. I don't think Teddy would believe in them. I mean, I don't know if anything would have come of it because, I mean, Teddy's just not as charismatic as Billy. Yeah, I mean, I think you know if you were looking at like quality of musicianship and things like that, yeah, Eddie's great and might surpass Billy in some spots, but. He's not the charismatic front man that they would need for the band to be successful. Karen's hair in this scene was freaking amazing. Yeah. She looks Side great. Side she looks, she looks really note. good in that one. Squirrel well, moment. Karen's hair looked amazing in this yes. scene. I loved it. So we cut to the scene and Simone is in the studio recording her vocals. Mm-hmm. She's finally getting her opportunity. Yep. And, and so she wants to do another take. And the producer says, the producer says, no, come in here. I think we got it. Let's go listen to it. And <laughs> another another uncomfortable wig. Yeah, it's not a good wig. And it's <laughs> just the guy's so slimy. And he's like, he is. and he's like, oh, so why don't you listen to it? And then he's like, you know, once you sit down and when she goes to sit down in a chair, he grabs her and puts her in his lap. And so you know, I had to go back and watch that scene. I've watched the episode several times, but, but 
I had to go back and I finally, you know, Amazon has the great Amazon x-ray. So I was like, that guy, I know him. So I hit the x-ray and found out that is, and I'm going to butcher his last name, but it's Chris Dia. I don't know. You say it. It's Greek. Chris Diamantopolo. Diamantopolo. I should have probably practiced that before. But you'll you'll recognize Chris if you see him. Yes. He's been in a ton of different things. He's Good. done he's done musical theater. He's been in a ton of different things. He was um, in that final episode of The Office. He was the boom man that, you know, it was implied that Pam got a little too friendly with. But he was on another he Amazon was that show. He was on another Amazon show that only lasted one season that I absolutely loved. And that was The Good Girls Revolt. Yeah. And... Um, Set in the 60s, that mid-century modern vibe. Freaking love that show. But he's done tons of things. If you go out and look at his IMDb, I mean, yeah. he's been everywhere. I, re- um, I remember him as he's like basically the Mark Cuban character in Silicon Valley. Yes. Um, yes. So, yeah. So, and he, I mean, he was, he was slimy. He was the stereotypical, the characterization of some slimy man in power. Having different plans for a female. And I just, I mean, he like just straight up gropes her, like hand between her legs. And, you know, she stands up and I just feel so bad for her because then she's like, oh, I can hear better from over here. And she's, she's just physically scared. And then she comes home and I was trying to figure out, is this the same night? She's got totally different clothes on, but I'm assuming maybe they had... So I'm trying to figure out if she if she slept with him, just if she slept. I'm trying to figure out if she slept. No, with him. I don't think she did. And then like had a change of clothes, or yeah, because it appears based on based on the conversation between her and Daisy, it appears that it's the same night, but she's in a completely different outfit. So do, did we have a continuity failure there? I don't know. Yeah, I'm just wondering if there was maybe more than one scene or something like that, Could be. and they cut it out. So. Um, she, you know, Daisy is still working hard trying to, you know, write music and she's like, Hey, how was it? And Simone's like, you know, just goes to her room and you know, this is like, look, I mean, shoot, even if Simone wasn't gay, I mean, God, just like, this is the idea, the idea that we used to think the casting couch was just this normal thing and that was okay. Mm-hmm. you know and I'm it was just I mean, part of the job and i mean if you wanted it bad enough you would put up you would put up with all yeah well, what are you willing to put up with so yeah it was hard to watch but it, i mean it was the reality of the times and it's still i mean harvey weinstein it's still not out of the realm of possibility even in 2023 no no so as as progressive and as grown as we think we have gotten it is still not out of the realm of possibility in 2023 where people in power have the opportunity to hold that power over other people manipulate other people based on their position of power yeah (laughs) okay stop my tangent (laughs) (laughs) okay next scene all right we're cutting to um camilla's taking care of the baby they're in their house um, and Billy just has the the way to fix it all. We're just going to go home. We're going to go back to Pittsburgh. He's going to get a job at the factory. My mom's there. Your family's there. We're just going to we're just going to move back. He's doesn't got it even, all figured out. Yeah, doesn't even talk to her about it. Nope. 
just yeah. says this is what we're gonna do. And once again, we see the power of Camilla. Do you think I moved here for you? I moved here with you. She doesn't want to be, if she had wanted that life, she could have stayed in Pittsburgh and found herself some other boy. Mm-hmm. That's not what she wanted. And, and he's like, well, I'm weak. And I, I think he's being honest at that time. Oh, I, think I, think, I absolutely think he's being I honest. I think he's being truthful and honest in that, you know, if I stay in California, I'm going to continue to be reminded of the fact that I, I drank too much. I cheated on you. I, my band fell apart. They don't want me back. All of my failures are here in California and I'm trying to escape all my failures. So let's go back back to Pittsburgh. So we go to Camilla saying, you know, what are you afraid of? And again, we see this honest moment of Billy just being really genuine and really raw and really, which he can do that with her. Um, and you would want to be able to do that with your partner, to be able to be that honest um, and that open and that raw because he is just, he's scared. And Camilla's like, do you do you not think that I'm not scared? Well, and I think an important thing that she says is I stayed. I didn't leave. Because you know what would have been the easier thing to do for her? For her to pack up and go home after the baby was born. Yeah. Like the minute she was at the hospital by herself, her to, yes. And she didn't, she stayed. Waiting and, for him to come out. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, um, I'm afraid she's going to love me and I'm going to fuck it all up. And Camilla well, who says. who is a parent hasn't thought that? Yeah. Welcome to the club. <laughs> welcome to the club. Who is a parent hasn't thought and looked at their kid and go, I'm going to have to pay for a lot of therapy bills. Yeah. Because and I mean, yeah. no matter how good a parent you are, try to be, that's going to happen. Oh but yeah, you're you're going to fuck up. Because just about the time you think you've mastered this one stage of life, they move to the next. And then, you know, it, it somehow it takes, those words take hold. And we see him trying with the baby and he's holding the baby. He's, um, he's spending time with the baby doing stuff. And then he's also, Camila invites him back into her bed. They're, they're getting back together. Things are healing with them and it's a nice montage. And then we get to a nice little scene with, um, Eddie, um, with Camila and he's hanging out with the baby and he's like, Oh, I haven't really been hanging out that much. And he says, so everything is just back to normal. Just like that. I just, I don't know how you can do that. And Camila says, have you ever been in love? You don't stop loving just because things get hard. At least I don't. And it's real easy to sit on the outside of a situation and judge it mm-hmm. and think, well, if that happened to me, I'm going to do this. Or if that happened to me, I'm going to do that. You never know how you're going to respond in those situations until it is hitting home and you're in the middle of it. She's she's got showing a lot of wisdom and maturity, I think. Um, in this situation of telling him you just don't stop just because things got bumpy and things got hard. So we're at now we're at the Christmas celebration and this is all um, looks like it's shot like it's yeah. mainly Camila's home video and it's yes. shot and um, they're playing um, Tammy Wynette's One Happy Christmas, which I think is um, interesting. I mean, this I looked up the lyrics to this and it's about a guy who's come home. He he left his wife and he'd come home for Christmas and she's like, it's going to be a happy Christmas. And I'm like, you mean a perfect 
appropriate two ways. Tammy Wynette, we, we get to this lane when just because you love some, you know, when things are hard, you don't stop loving somebody. Well, you know, Tammy Wynette's biggest hit, Stand By Your Man. And then also the lyrics to this are about a homecoming, a reconciliation. So, and we see them, they're, they're incredibly happy. And then we we have a nice little montage of like, you know, of, of Camila footage and, and then we cut yeah. to regular, you know, outside that footage and they're all hanging out and Billy's put the baby to bed and he comes in and he's like, Hey, I'd like to play something for you. I understand if you're not interested and, and he <laughs> being drunk. smart, obviously so, yeah. drunk and slurry. Yeah. We're not. And everybody gives him a dirty look. And then, you know, and he's like, come on, guys, you can't do this. You can't just walk back here like nothing happened. And then everybody's authentic response. That's an authentic response. I mean, look, I mean, I would say and, you know, I don't think whatever Billy did, I don't think he went through the 12 steps. Because part of doing that is you going and acknowledging the things that you've done and how, you know, and you, you know, like he, he hadn't done that. No, he hadn't named it. No. And I, th- I do think that this was an attempt for him to extend an olive branch to them and try to make amends for things. But again, as you said, if you're truly working the steps, you're going to name what you did and not just give like an a gift. Just hand somebody a well, gift. Well, yeah. Like a song. I mean, like, did he you're ever say, it. you know, I am sorry. You know, he needs to, he needs to make amends. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, like, I think Eddie's reaction was a true reaction. Was it the best, nicest, kindest thing to do? No, but sometimes we're not always nice and kind. Nope. You know, and so, but he does go, okay, play, play the, the name song. Theme song. And then we cut to the interviewer in 1997, and she's like, why did you stay? And he says, I ask myself that all the time. And then we cut to we're back at Teddy's office and Billy is playing Look at Us Now. And, yes, you know, he has, he has his little recording of Honeycomb. Yes. Um, he has his recording that he did himself of Honeycomb and he plays it for Teddy trying to get, you know, back in his. Thinks he's getting back in his good graces, I guess. Well, he's just like, I feel like he's just very naive in a way. It's like, well, look, I've got this song. Let's get, let's just get back. Let's get back to it. And Teddy's, Teddy stops it. He doesn't even listen to the whole song. He stops it. And he says, um, and you know, Billy's like, isn't that a great song? And he's like, yeah, I think it's a really good song. And he's like, so, and Teddy's like, Teddy's hesitant. Cause he says, you burned a lot of, you burned a lot of bridges whenever you canceled that tour. You cost and people money. Cost people money. And he said, and I let he starts getting upset because I Billy's not quite understanding this. And he's um, your fuck up is my fuck up. I thought that yours was going to be the record that fixed things. Cause I don't think Billy has really understood that the place that Teddy was was not a place of power. He needed them to work out just as much as they needed to work, you know, as yeah. Billy did. And so he's, you know, I thought you were the record that was going to fix things. And he's like, you know what? I don't know. They probably, they don't believe in you. And it's going to take a lot for them to. So we, and then we cut to this office and it's just all white dudes and, you know, and poor Teddy stuck there with a bunch of white dudes and he plays the song and they were like, meh, we don't, we already gave them a try. Let's, let's move on to something. We don't hear it. And Teddy's like, well, just let me noodle with it. And they're like, nah, no, nah, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. 
So side note on this one. So fan theories were out there um, because the dude that's talking, it, he calls him Don. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you look on Amazon X-Ray, it shows that his character's name is Don Middleton. But initially, fans were out there trying to connect this to Taylor Jenkins Reid, Taylor uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid, other book, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, because they were trying to say that that Don was her Don, her second husband, um, but his name was Don Adler. But there were theories running around that they were trying to, because everybody, readers of this book are trying to find places where she's connecting um, things to her other books. Cause she does that in all of her books. Yeah. There's crossover characters in most all of her books um, between their different worlds. Yeah. So, I love um, that. Yeah, yeah. Larry McMurtry did that in all of his books. They're so good. All of his like, yeah. modern day books. Oh, I love that. Um, but yeah. So the white guys say no. Yeah. And then we're at Daisy's on the couch at Teddy's and she looks like she looks pretty tired. Like she looks like she's really like her hair doesn't look like she's brushed it. And she's um, been writing. And she's like, I've got a bunch of songs, but you know, I've got some pieces of songs, but none of them, you know, I think are you're not gonna like. And he's like, Well, don't show me anything you're not gonna like, which I love that he's kind of being a kind of smart alecky with her. And then don't she waste hears, the time. And then she hears in the background, he's playing um honeycomb um to billy's acoustic version and she's like oh this you think he did this? that on purpose do you think he did that on purpose i don't know i don't know it's something to consider that he did it on purpose because he knew daisy was going to be there i mean i don't know how it came on how long have they been sitting there you know yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe he just had a bunch of things on his reel to reel that he'd been listening to. I don't know. Um, yeah. And he didn't have Teddy Spotify. Has he has no Spotify, Spotify. playlist, so he can't he tell you. Well, I can't tell you how that happened, but she's like, <laughs> oh, you know, this is an interesting song. And it's barely, you can barely hear it in the background. That's kind of what I like about it, mm -hmm. you know? And then, um, and then he's like, well, what do you, you know, do you think you could do anything with this? And, um, and then we go, it cuts to 1997, Karen saying, next thing you know, we're booked in a studio. And 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 it's Teddy has suggested a female vocalist, an unknown, um, to I think he says make us make us edgier. Yeah. yeah and so then we have we have somebody coming in that nobody they don't know, they don't know who she is. And we see Daisy with her headphones on, you know, she's writing and she's like playing parts of the song and writing and singing. And then we we're at the studio. And and then Daisy uh, is walks in, you know, and um, I mean, and Billy. So Daisy's writing, and then we go to Graham saying Billy wasn't thrilled. Nineteen ninety seven Graham, and he and Billy's like, "What's who is she? What's going on?" And then Daisy comes in, all happy, wearing just a shirt, straight from the book. Yeah, no pants. And this is really beautifully done because uh, the music starts building and and then they see each other and she they shake hands and she says i like your song yeah and you know you've talked about the unreliable narrator the concept of the unreliable narrator mm -hmm. but i think we have an unreliable narrator because maybe we have unreliable storytellers Yes, absolutely. Everybody's going to tell their story with their bias. And, you know, they've got, you know, 
that well and his that's version hers version and his version her version and somewhere in the middle is the truth well and that's why you know taylor jenkins reads choice of writing the book as like a um, oral history is so great because and she really plays on that and a lot of times like when they come up with the band name and things like that she plays on that but in this moment especially the idea of what these people are willing to reveal about themselves to the interviewer is super important yes and you know um so she comes in and there's this moment and they both and in the the podcast the watch that i listened to with the the two um um the two hosts say that this moment whenever they meet and they decide the editors just cut to them both smiling and that yeah, there's the no words seven versions yeah, the, the 1987, they, they meet and she's like, I like your song. And then they cut to 19 and they both have this smile on their face and they're transported back to that moment and they don't say anything. <laughs> and, you know, it is because the look they give each other that moment when they meet is intense. And then to know, then to see them both acknowledging that 20 years later, 25 years, you know, 20 some years later. And it's just, you know, it's chemistry at first sight. Yeah. It's not necessarily yeah. love at first sight, but it's definitely chemistry. There's a connection. There's a connection there that um, goes deeper than what they probably, you know, because again, Billy was, Billy was getting this female singer that he didn't know anything about. Nobody knew anything about, okay, I'm going to do this because he, you know, and we didn't see this, but maybe it's a realization of unless I'm willing to do this give this a try. I'm not going to get the song recorded. So he relents and, but still he's got this attitude of, well, this is just dumb dummy and I'm just going to do this because otherwise I'm not going to get my studio take my studio time. So he just deals with it. Um, but while he may have shown up to the studio with that attitude, the minute she walked in, you could see things starting to change, but he was fighting it tooth and nail as he was seeing all this play out. Well, and I mean, let's face it. I mean, Billy, you know, Billy is not used to collaborating. I mean, it's already established that he likes it his way. So, um, you know, I think it's, but when they have this chemistry, you know, you have this like chemistry at first sight with some people. I mean, you have that with your, your friends. Like, you know, we talk about it with, um, um, you know, you know, in love, but you have those moments when you meet somebody and you um, become friends with them and you're just like, this is, you know, you have friendships like that where you meet somebody and you're like, yes, this person and I are going to be friends forever. And you have that with, you know, when I do work with people, when I do improv, like you meet somebody and you just, man, you improvise so well with them and you trust them in scenes or you write really well with them. And finding that chemistry is so hard to do. and um, but for two people who are vulnerable as Daisy and Billy are emotionally, both of them fragile, this kind of chemistry, um, maybe isn't that healthy. We'll have to see, you know, but I think when you have that, um, that is what I think is an interest. I, I think that's kind of the whole theme of this, of the, of the story is this idea of what happens when these people who are brilliant 
um, but fragile come together. They're brilliant and broken in what happens when they come together. And this is that first moment. And I think they do a great job. And I think it's one of the best things I've ever, you know, one of the best kind of first meets in I've ever seen. Like, they just did a, such a great job of just like, boom, this is it. And they acknowledged it. And I think that Riley Kyo and um, as Daisy, her energy in this whole scene is so great because it's this nervous energy, super excited, um, and really trying to pass herself off as confident, but really deep down not being that confident. And so and yet she, we see we see this spark of a connection, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. there's so much com- there's so much conflict within her about being scared about this, nervous, feeling like she doesn't know what she's doing, yet she's walked into this room with this person who she is automatically feeling this connection to. Yeah. Like I mean, you can tell like it's like a bolt of energy between the two mm-hmm. of them the minute they meet. These last few minutes of this episode are Intense. I mean, I still question, like, do you th- do you think that this show or any a- any of the actors in the show are going to get any kind of recognition, like either through Emmy or through yeah. Golden Globes? No, uh, maybe Golden Globes, but I don't think so, because, first of all, Amazon shows don't get they don't have the cachet that an HBO show has. Right. Um, And I didn't the critics haven't loved this show. Yeah. Like the fans have. Yeah. No, so, the album may get the album may get a nomination for soundtrack. Do you think? Yeah. I think it could yeah. get an album. I mean, I don't know. Soundtrack. soundtrack. I mean, you don't get it for TV shows. I don't know what it's a TV show, not a film. So there's no I don't know. Maybe so, we'll sneak in there. I mean, I don't I don't I mean I think okay, I could see Riley getting a nomination for because it's like would be an Emmy nomination for like best limited series or something like right. that. I can see her getting a nomination, especially because the because Hollywood loves the fact that she is the granddaughter of Elvis. Like, just Hollywood like loves a, a nepo baby. But so she asks for, you know, she's like, oh, and she's trying to get set up, and she goes, "Could I have a milk and a whiskey, or if you have it, or just a milk if you have that, or just a whiskey if you have that?" What musician, what vocalist is going to drink dairy before she know. starts recording? That would give me. I mean, I have a friend, like, when he wants to sing really high, he will gargle whiskey, and I think that's insane, but he says it helps him sing high, but I can't imagine mixing dairy with that. No. It it sounds like a gross combination, even if you're not trying to sing. It's just gross. Dairy and whiskey? Well, I just, I mean, I remember, (laughs) I mean, I don't think you're a fan of dairy with alcohol anyway, right? I, you know, I will drink, I will drink like Kahlua and I'll do like a Kahlua and vanilla vodka. I'm good on that, but I don't know, like white Russians, that just always made me kind of, yeah, you're remembering correctly. That just always makes me kind of queasy to think about a white Russian. Because one of the first drinks, like when I turned 21, I mean, it's not like I hadn't drank before, but my first official legal drink in a bar was with you. And our friend Andy and my first drink was a white Russian. And I remember you going, why? <laughs> so I love this scene because so she asked for the milk and whiskey. And then Teddy walks, he like walks into the control room from, you know, the studio part. And he's kind of laughing, chuckling to himself like, oh, typical da- Daisy. And 
and he why are you smiling yeah and and but he's he knows that's this he's already knowing this is going to be good I'm just generally delighted. Yes. <laughs> That's what Teddy says. I'm just generally delighted. Because he knows sh- shit, sparks about to fly, shit's about to happen. Something yeah. good. Because again, Teddy's been doing this for long enough. He recognizes talent. Yeah. And he knows what he's about to do is either going to be completely epic or an ultimate fail that's probably going to end his career. Right. And um, I love this part where she's like, they're showing her how the, um, how everything works. It's like, oh, that's too loud. And she's, you know, and they're, and the, everybody, the rest of the band is in the control room and they're, they're saying, has she ever recorded before? And um, one of them asks, where are her pants? And Warren's like, who cares? <laughs> and- yep. And then they start. But before that, we, well, they start and they hit the, they hit, you know, Teddy's like, okay, this is honeycomb take one. And we see this um, control room come to life. And this scene, these next couple of minutes, I think, I don't visually, and I don't know if this is, you know, the photography nerd in me, the music nerd in me, but these are, these scenes were so beautifully filmed i think seeing and you made note of this you know seeing that reel to reel go and yeah. seeing the board and the you know the di- the the sliders on the board and you know the meters on the board i don't know well it, and just to me i love those kind of shots um just like those kind of macro shots of like close-up of uh, those big two inch reel to reels and you know then you know them sliding up and then the cigarette sitting right there on the board on this you know who knows how expensive board with the ashtray and um and, and if this studio was supposed to be like sound sound city then you know all the history behind that board yeah that had come before this moment in time where something so i don't where something is about to happen i can't tell if this is sound city because you know later on we know they do record at sound city you know right show i don't think that's that big of a spoiler guess what yeah they make a whole album um <laughs> so um i don't think i i don't think this is at sound city because they kind of make a big deal of it being of a when they city. transition yeah and yeah. i would say like you know so i don't know for sure where this is but it is a um it's just a really it's so we they start and you feel this anticipation because we've you know, we're not, I mean, we're not done. We're not living in a vacuum here. We know this. We probably all have heard the song before we, we they released the song before the, um, so we know that this is going to come and we've been building up for it. And if you're a book reader, like this is such, you know, we are just waiting for this moment to happen. And, you know, Daisy looks really, really nervous. Mm-hmm. And um, then when he, when he starts singing his, like they do the mic check and he sings really nicely. And then she kind of, her baby, baby, baby is not. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a little shaky. It's a little it's, shaky. It's a little Peter Brady-ish, you know? <laughs> it's a little shaky. But they start in, um, they start in on the recording and, you know, she kind of stops. She stops him down and is like, 
you know, hey, can do, do we really need this audience? Like, do we really need the audience? And Karen jumps into the rescue. Yeah, because the guys are like, oh, is she talking about us? We're in the band. And so she says, um, I love her here because she goes, hey, want to go see if Deb's around? And the guys are so. What? Deb <laughs> it's like It's like what, like what you do, like you throw a ball for a dog. Hey, <laughs> distraction. And and she, um, and then she, she goes, why don't you all go talk to Deb? And they're like, okay, let's go talk to Deb. And then she um, quietly shuts the door and stays in the booth. And, and she and looks. And them off. And she looks at she makes a point of looking at daisy and they look at each other and daisy had like thank you for doing that for me and it's very encouraging and it's just a nice little um a nice little moment yeah and i don't think that i'm getting this out of order because i made these notes this afternoon as as i was watching back through but the way in which they shot the scene where they started you know it's the aperture and the depth of field that they use like Billy is closest to the camera, but he's out of focus mm -hmm. and Daisy is in focus and the room is hazy. And, you know, she asks for the lights to be turned down. I don't know something about that. And I, I don't know if I'm trying to read too much into it, but something about him being in this foreground, but still being out of focus and the focus being, I don't know, something about it. I just found to be incredibly beautiful. Well, I feel like in this moment, as we're watching this part of this, you know, relationship, we're seeing a lot of it basically from Daisy in a way. So because we see when they start singing and Daisy looks over at him and she's just so impressed with his voice. And of course, he's paying her uh, no attention. No, he's just trying to sing a song Cause Cause and pissed. get this done with. But when she starts singing, you know, the harmony part, you, they go to a shot of Karen and she she sees the magic and she looks at Teddy and Teddy sees the magic. And then they start singing the, oh, we could make a good thing bad slash, oh, we can get back we to what we had. Back. Yeah, we yeah, can get we it can all back. back. So and we have this, we have this, discur this discrepancy in lyrics because... Yes. Teddy gave the song to Daisy and said, what do you think you can do with this? And she went and did what she thought she could do with this. And she changed it up. And um, and Billy's like, oh, you don't know the lyrics? Um, can we get a pen? And she's like, oh, I, I know the lyrics. I've got them right here in her little book. And which, okay, I don't think that that was a really a cool thing for Teddy to do. But I know probably his reasoning is that if he told Billy, Billy wouldn't have, Billy would have said, no, you can't change my song. Yeah. So he kind of had to do it. He had to spring it on him because, yeah, he uh, he would not have been he would not have been receptive to even start. Um, right. If he had known that his his song, his song was getting changed. And then we get into this conversation about. You know, what is the song about? Daisy asks, and what's the song about? And she, she goes, yeah, can I ask what's the song about? And Billy, it's about starting a new life. It's about redemption from letting people down. And Daisy says, so guilt. And, you know, and she she's and she's just rattling this off really fast. You know, so I can understand better. I'm assuming it's about you. You let somebody down. Um, but the thing is, I don't believe you. 
I don't know you very well, but I think it's kind of simple. I don't think you're simple and it doesn't sound office, honest. And then she goes, which I love it. Why is it called Honeycomb? That's a Ricky Nelson song. And you know, that's a nice little meta thing because I'm sure a lot of people ask Taylor Jenkins Reid, like, why was it called Honeycomb? And and then she said, um, you know, I, I don't know you very well, but I think what you wrote here is a speech and I think it should be a conversation. That line. Really good. That line is really good because, again, if you're really looking for redemption from somebody, if you're really looking to make amends with somebody, then you have to be open to have a conversation. Because right. that person needs to be able to react. That person needs to be able to reply and respond. If you're just going to get up there and make amends to make you feel better and give this speech, you're not doing what you intended to do or what well, you thought you were going to do. I mean, and from what I mean, I haven't been through the 12 steps, but I'm 12 steps adjacent. Um, I think that making amends, the whole point of making amends is you go and sometimes they say, don't make amends with somebody. If you bringing up the things that you've done is going to cause them harm and hurt them, then you don't. But you're making amends is they don't have to say they're sorry. You just have to acknowledge the ways that you let those people down. And I don't yeah. really think Billy's done that. I really I don't, don't have to forgive you about it. No. But again, I think, Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's, he's trying to make himself feel less shitty. Like he knows what he did. He knows he fucked around on Camilla. He knows that he drank too much. He knows that he did drugs. He knows that he missed the first part. He missed the child's birth. He missed the first part of her life. He's just trying to make himself feel less shitty. Yeah. And so that's the point of this song. I'm going to, I'm going to make this song for Camilla and I'm going to be forgiven and I'm going to feel better about myself. And then it's again, that's a speech, right? That's not a conversation where you're having with somebody to try to really heal a relationship. Loved, 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 loved that. Well, and I just love Riley here. Like it, it comes out a lot in this one where she's talking really fast, but she has this, I mean, naturally a, a bit of a Southern accent in it. Like there's just a little lilt to her that she has to the way she talks. Um, and then we go to, um, Billy is just furious and he's like, I'm going to leave. And one of my favorite parts is Karen uh, says, is she always like this? Cause she's, I mean, she's really intense and other, no one else has ever questioned Billy. No one ever questions Billy. I mean, the closest is Eddie, you know, and even then he caves in and she doesn't back down. So Billy walks out and I love this scene cause they're all in the lobby watching T watching the Jeffersons with, um, with Deb and it's a scene well, actually they're watching all in the family oh yes they're watching all in the family and it's because they're setting up the jeffersons because it's That's wheezy right wheezy, wheezy says you know, you know you know i guess this is really goodbye and the guys are like she'll come back and i'm like she doesn't she goes for 10 seasons on the penthouse <laughs> apartment in the sky <laughs> we need a minute yeah that was billy's line we yeah need a minute and then Daisy. <laughs> oh my God. I love there again, these last few episodes and these last few minutes. And I don't even know how long like this portion of time in the show is like how many minutes is this? I believe it's like the this? last 15 minutes. Okay. This last 15 minutes of television. This is like amazing television because she has so many great lines in this, in this, so yeah, in time because Daisy follows them out 
as the the guys are watching all in the family billy's and, pacing around and daisy and with and teddy and he looks so he's standing next to teddy and he looked to daisy and says we need a minute and daisy says and he storms off yeah and daisy yeah. says is this the part where the men figure out the solution and teddy says i highly doubt it <laughs> how many times have we been in that situation yes where Somebody thinks they're going to come in and fix it all and yep. figure it all out. So we just, she's just, I mean, she recognizes it. She's like, okay, this is the part where y'all are going to fix it. Okay. Yeah. But Teddy knows, no, it's <laughs> probably not going to get figured out. And I watched this scene a lot and where, um, Ted, you know, Billy walks into the first door he sees and then he goes, what the fuck? Because he's just walked into a tape room. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to make a dramatic exit. Yeah. <laughs> And, and he's like, yeah, no and, then, and then Teddy goes, why are we in a closet? And Billy I says, I thought it was another room. I thought it was another room. <laughs> I... <laughs> and then you can just, you can see the energy is palpable. The, the tension is palpable. It's coming off of Billy because he is freaking out. You let her rewrite my song. Yeah. And, and he Teddy, says, Teddy's Teddy just, just really cool. And Teddy says, you know, your version is simple. You're holding back. Um, I wouldn't want to go to those places. Um, but he also says, you know, I'm I'm paying for this session. Because he said, because Billy's like, well, if they like the song, and he's like, they didn't like the song. I am paying for this session. I'm I'm sticking myself up for you. And he says, you know, I love you. You know that. And I mean, what can you think if you're Billy in that moment? You know, this, first of all, how crushing. You thought you're coming in and you're going to get to record again. And you're making your comeback. And you're so that wasn't what it was. And now you're going to have to compromise with this and change the lyrics of this song that's so important to you because you it's the first thing you've written since you've come out of rehab. And, you know, that is a just... It, it's, it's your you redemption know. song. Yes. It's your redemption song. Teddy's doing something for him, paying for the session, coming up with what he feels like is going to be the thing that brings them all back and brings Billy back. And that is the addition of Daisy's voice. So you made a note. Here's a, a side note, another Easter, potential Easter egg. You made a note saying that the calendar on the, on the door mm -hmm. indicated 1975. And do you remember what the picture was? It was like swimming, like, surfing, it was like, like a, a model. Somewhere surfer girl. Okay, so here's another potential Easter egg. We're going to connect. Okay. So fans are saying that that picture is supposed to be a character by the name of Nina Rivas. Oh. Nina was a main character in another book of Taylor's called Malibu Rising. Malibu Rising, Nina Rivas, her dad was one of Evelyn's, one of Evelyn Hugo's seven, seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo was one of his, one of her husbands. And I actually did the math because I was like, okay, so I know when Malibu Rising is supposed to take place. So backing up in time. So this, that the, the calendar picture would have made her, if it was 1975, would have made her about 17 or 18 years old. Okay. And her character was a surfer, a swim, swimmer model, a surfer, all of that. So it it totally fits. But yeah, 
we get we get a few of these little Easter eggs in, and fans go crazy with them. Um, but I just think that shows the commitment to this universe, yeah, and to this book in and to this book in particular. But anyway, back to back, so back so, to the back to the current story. So Teddy does another thing that he goes, "You want me to leave this open or closed?" <laughs> <laughs> are you done having your fit and so he closes the door and then we cut to um we're back in the lobby area and the guys are complaining oh eddie, god they're such pigs eddie says um well first we let him back in and now we're singing psalms with some chick and karen goes who are you calling a chick i'm a chick and they were like yeah but not really and <laughs> And just like the when like Karen's looking pissed and, and Graham has this look like, oh dear, what's gonna happen? <laughs> Teddy comes in and he compliments Warren and Graham and, and he says, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, the heartbeat of the track. And and um Eddie, I think, knows that it's sarcasm, but Warren's like, hey, it's nice. It's nice <laughs> to get you. We're complimented. He's got this big grin oh, on his face. Simple Warren. So I adorable. I, I mean, you think Eddie, I don't know. I think Eddie kind of liked at least he got acknowledged. Yeah. <laughs> and then we head back into the control room and um Daisy is um she's messing she's around and she's messing around with Tobias, the the sound engineer, and t- like talking in German. What and... is it, Tobias? <laughs> um I am a Tobias. Yes. The Billy was like, What is it, Tobias? I am a Tobias. And um <laughs> it's also funny because she's making jokes in German and it, it shows, you know, this this past of maybe being able to learn other languages and things like that. And yeah, it came from a life of privilege. Yeah. And Billy says, I trust you, but I don't think you're right about this. And, you know, Teddy's like, um, I guess you're just going to have to wait and find out. And she's made, she makes some kind of joke in German and she's keeps, she's going to like making all these noises. And Tobias says she has a perverse sense of humor. And so then Billy walks into to go sing and then Teddy is just going to get it over with. And Teddy, um, you know, tells him over the comm, hey, um, there's something there's a rattle in your mic. So you need to share the mic with Daisy. Genius. And <laughs> Tobias is like, there's no there is no rattle. You also have a pers- perverse sense of humor. But it's genius because Teddy knows what he's doing. Yes. Teddy's, Teddy knows what he's doing. He understands the process. And he's got a plan. And then Billy starts, um, Stacy starts to talk to tell him something. And, and he then. He just cuts her off. Yeah. He's so defensive about the fact that he's going to have to go in there and sing her lyrics, not his lyrics. And he just immediately cuts her off. And all she wanted to say was. I love the sound of your voice. She was trying to pay him a compliment and he was just so. Uh, I don't know. And then the music starts. Oh wait, no, we flipped to we flipped to nineteen ninety seven. Billy, yeah. Come to and think of it, we never did my version. And then we cut to them. We you know we start with the the acoustic guitar, and and um, he's he's tight, you know, and he starts singing, and she's and she's looking at him, and when they start to sing, um. When they start to sing together, like she just gets like this look of joy on her face. And if you've ever like, I don't know, 
you did, I did, you know, I was in band and, you know, sang in choir and like whenever you actually are singing or performing in a way like that and that feeling that you get whenever it's just really gelling with, with other people and like to see that joy on her face is so good. And she's making, I feel like Riley as an actress is making so many good choices with just kind of the way she's moving her arms. Like she can't really even control her enthusiasm and also then the way Billy is, he's really, um, he's really tight. Um, and, but he's very tense, but he's slowly loosening up, you know, as the song goes by. There was a and, point in which he closed his eyes mm-hmm. and when he opened and you could see when he closed his eyes, he started to relax. And when he opened them, he was, he was truly, I thought in the moment. Yeah. And so there's a portion, I don't know if you saw this, but they were, they were singing that, do you call it a refrain that, um, things that we're doing ain't working out Yes. and they go through it once and they sing it. And the minute they start second, you see her make this really subtle gesture with her hands. Yes. And that's the point at which the intensity of their voices picks up and kind of crescendos. Yes. And I just. That gesture from her, I, I know. the first couple of times I watched it, I missed it, but I came back through and saw it again, and I was like, fuck yeah. That's, that's such a great choice that she's making, and also, like, there's things that she's doing with the cord, and she's kind of, like, like she's kind of twisting the the cord of the, the headphones and stuff. I mean, she just, she's just doing a lot of good physical things to mm-hmm. show her her character's abandoned you know uh being just the intensity of what's going on yeah and so they finish and then we see um billy is on the phone we hear camilla's voice so how was it and then as a soundtrack we um it's this um it's the part where she's Daisy singing in the in the background we hear, and now where do we stand? And it's her voice, and he says, it was a nightmare. And then we I'm, cut, and he's sitting at the board, and you see him slowly, like, fade everything else down and just focus in on her voice. And again, we see this face tell us something like he he's he's either realizing that he's just done the most amazing thing or he has just opened up something in himself that could be his downfall yeah he looks i think he looks really scared like i just i mean that fading out and just everything else out and he just focuses on our voice and he didn't want to love it and he didn't want to like it and he didn't want to change his song but he has it's this realization that comes through him without saying anything that they've done something oh it was so good and then daisy comes home to simone and simone asks how was it and she says it was probably the best day of my life and that i mean i mean come on but also it makes me really sad in a way. I love that she, but like the fact that there's, and it's, you know, it's a sad, you know, story like that he is, it's the nightmare and she is the best day of my life. And like, you can see the moment, the joy as she is in the studio and she's so excited and just because she's getting the things that she wants and there he's everything he wants is being chipped away. 
you know. But do you think he considered it a nightmare because it was taking away his power? Or did he consider it a nightmare because he has been faced with something that he knows is going to be life-changing? Oh, I think, yeah, I like, think it's Again, a we go back to that chemistry and that attraction. And, you know, yes, you can have chemistry without being physically um, connected to somebody. But we're going to hear some lines toward the end. But there is this commonality for the two of them mm -hmm. that connects them in a way that he will not be able to connect with Camilla, that he will not be able to connect with other people in the band. There's this connection between the two of them. And it's like in these moments, sitting at that board, listening to her voice, he's coming to the realization that something. And so maybe he... it's that's his worst nightmare is that he's going to now like now he's conflicted because he has. I don't know. I don't know. His night, I mean, to me, also, this is his worst nightmare because she confronts him in a way no one else has. Because mm -hmm. basically, she's saying, You can write as many songs about how you're not going to cheat on your wife and how you're not going to drink anymore and how great things are, but I don't necessarily believe you. And deep down, he knows he doesn't believe himself. Yeah. And he deep down knows that probably no one actually believes him. You know, so to me, to have somebody come in and basically just. Psst, you know, burst punk, burst that whole bubble to come in and see through you. That's the, that's part of the nightmare. And part of the nightmare is definitely that moment where he felt that chemistry and felt that dopamine hit of seeing this woman and chemistry at first sight. And that's a nightmare too, because what does that mean for him? Right. Because he loves his wife. Yeah. So, and scene. Wow. Yeah, so good. Again, they release those first three episodes together. And, you know, I I initially was not happy about that. I was like, I wanted one at a time, just like your typical series. But man, they just, that third, third episode just ended on such a high note with such intensity. It just, like that sold it for a lot of people to keep going on and oh, waiting me, and anxiously awaiting the next episodes. Even as a fan of the book, and knowing that we wanted to kind of do this little podcast, I was like, oh, please don't let it suck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I felt like it, you know, they just built it up perfectly and it ends just, you know, like the the guys that I listened to um, on The Watch, they said they, that we that the show really knows how to end an episode. And I think like they really did know how to end that episode because I feel like a lot of times, especially with these limited series TV things, you're like, oh, this is just a long movie, right. you know, and the episode breaks sometimes don't work that much. And I feel like this one, it actually really works. Yeah. I do not disagree with you on that one. So you got some side notes here, girl. I do have a side note. Okay. So I sent you this TikTok. Yes. So. Josh Whitehouse, who plays Eddie, I'm on TikTok now. So I think all of the cast was kind of put on, um, a, you know, kind of put on a lockdown as far as releasing stuff on social media while they were filming the show. But they were encouraged to video. They were encouraged to capture moments. And then after the show released, we've seen them all flood their social medias with things. Um, so now I'm following like all of them on Instagram. I'm following them all on TikTok. And Josh Whitehouse put out a TikTok this week and he was going to a band rehearsal and he said, the series is done. Why would we be rehearsing? 
Well, I hope that they go on a tour. I know. I mean, I know. I know. I just like I need more. Um, like, I've been feeling kind of like in a little bit of a funk because I did finally finish everything this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love it if they went on a tour. Or another, some other fan theories are is that they're going to do an SNL. I think that that actually makes the most sense. But, but I, I would be on board with either. Give me an SNL performance. Give me a tour. I don't care. I will be there. Oh, man, if they did a tour. I just can't imagine actors, like working actors, being able to take that kind of time. That's the other thing. It's like, I, I, that's the I other think, thing. I, I'm like, I personally think it's an SNL appearance because they, they just have to perform two songs. Um, I think Riley is a good choice as a as a SNL guest um, host. And you Sam know. Clacklin could guess, guess yeah. host as well. I mean, so, but you know, a lot of times when they do that, they'll have the one person who's kind of the host, but like those, it'll be a lot of the people from the show too. They do that a lot, you know. So um, yeah, that would be so good. I'd be I'd be thrilled to see more of it because yeah. that's just I love it, love it so much. Okay, so. That's and it. Please, and if you have any comments, nobody's muses at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, do all those things. And we will be back next week with episode four, which is another, oh, such a good episode. So good. It's a banger. It's a banger. All right. Talk to you later. Take Bye. care. Thanks for watching or listening, whatever you're doing. Hey. Remember the night we went to that one bar and we drank gin and tonics for the first time? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I've never drank gin since then. I think it's really. So... Oh, I love gin and tonic. We were, uh, you yeah, know, we were... I think it was because probably the quality was bad gin. So I've never drank gin again because I just thought that was so disgusting. Wow. I love No, we were okay. This will be a tangent. We can take this out. Um, that we went to see, I believe it was we went to see, um, that's now, I can't remember who we went to see. It was it was the guy. It was the guy who had the band. It was kind of retro, and he would play the trumpet. Oh, and little, little Jack, Jack Melody. Melody. Thank you, yes. Little Jack Melody. And it was at I don't know if it was called Gypsy Tea Room at the time. No, it wasn't. It was called Chumleys, and we were in the patio. Chumleys. Okay, this will only make sense if you live in the Dallas Fort Worth area, or if you went to school at North Texas, yeah. because Little Jack Melody. Um, yeah, and Chumley's. I'd forgotten about Chumley's. Yeah, so uh, that's right down this right down the streets from uh right down from Dave Dave's Art and Dave Pond. Art and Pond Shop. Yeah. And also the Aqua Lounge. Yeah. So <laughs> it was a well, it was a big deal because they, they bought us gin and tonics. Like we like who got those for us? Some dude. I was trying to remember. I don't know. He probably was like 25, but he looks super old. Yeah. So and who we're taking I mean, how dumb taking drinks from Well, if the waitress brought them out to us, I wasn't worried. Okay. And it was like literally it was they but yeah, oh, I love gin and tonics. So that's kind of probably why I like them. Oh, gross. I did not drink gin. So, okay, anyway. Okay, okay sorry. Tangent. Again, that's our weekly tangent. We're going to throw those in cuz we think it's hilarious and again, if you listen and you want to listen to our tangent or you can just fast forward through that. Yeah, exactly. But I think our I think our tangents are funny. Uh, so uh, I'm just glad we remembered. <laughs>
I'm glad. See, I need you to help me remember those things because there are some major gaps in memory <laughs> that you remember a lot better than me. A so, lot better than me. 